So how's everything over there? Uh, it's going really well. Appreciate you asking. Uh, we're on the road right now. We're in Utah. Uh, we just finished our uh, fifth game, I think. So uh, about to play our sixth tomorrow night. Oh. So first of all, like, can you introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, so my name is Joey Davey. I work for the Memphis Grizzlies as a uh, sports scientist and a strength conditioning coach. Uh, I am going into or just started my fourth season here with Memphis. Cool. So is it is sports science and strength and conditioning the same apartment in Memphis Grizzly? Yeah, yeah, same apartment. So we operate uh, kind of as one unit, as you know, once one office we all share, and it allows for a better integration of the two. Although I know that some other sports, uh, professional, even college, that they're they're different. Uh, right now we operate under the same umbrella. Cool. So, is there like certain like technology used in the NBA right now? Like you use like every day or like every week? Yeah, we we use you know kind of your your classic performance technologies, uh, both to monitor uh you know workloads, but then obviously monitor performance, which can kind of be two of the same in a lot of ways. So we use force plates, which isn't um you know isn't kind of new anymore. That's kind of what everyone's using. So we use force plates. We use your load monitoring technologies on the court, um, you know, for games, that's optical tracking solutions, just because the NBA hasn't integrated uh, the actual wearables yet. So we use optical tracking for the games. And then for practices, we're using, uh, we're using an actual chip uh, via IMU or RFID. So that's, that's kind of the two big, um, big technologies we use daily. And then our medical staff is using certain technologies. Our coaching staff is using certain technologies, but that's sort of like our, our daily use case. Cool. So when it comes to like testing and using like technology, is there like certain movement you're going to do on force plates? Yeah, so we do a variety of jump testing. Um, we use a conruent jump, so two legs, and we use a single leg jump, one leg. Uh, on occasion, we'll do like depth jumping. On occasion, we'll do some like loaded jumping. But I would say right now, our our, our bread and butter is sort of kind of movement jumping and single leg jumping. It just allows us to communicate with the athletes, communicate with coaches on what we're seeing. And that's a, at a pretty regular interval uh, every couple of days for, for most guys. So for all those movements, why you use like counter movement jump the most? I think it's easy to to implement. Like it's super quick. Guys can hit it pretty routinely, and it gives you it gives you a lot of signal relative to maybe some other tests that may give you a little bit of noise. So what I mean by that is, you know, when you're when you're assessing maybe a, a longitudinal graph of jump height or eccentric peak force, like you can see changes, um, you know, week to week. Like I can see a change on Monday that I didn't see on the previous Saturday or the previous Thursday, and that can then inform dis uh, decision-making. Whereas, you know, if I have a depth jump, that's not a test that I can really do, you know, three, four times a week with, with a basketball player. Um, so it just allows, you know, high-frequency testing and a high-frequency testing allows us to make some better decisions.
So when it comes to like uh, counter movement jump, is there like certain like data you're gonna look into? Probably like peak force or like uh, relative peak force or like eccentric force leaks. Is there any like certain data you're gonna look into and track that for like all the season? Yeah, so we'll, uh, you know, every every player is different um, in how they jump, right? Like, so not everyone's jumping the same. Their outputs aren't the same. There's different, like, positional needs, of course. And so uh, for us, we have, we break our metrics into monitoring metrics and profiling metrics. So monitoring metrics are metrics that tend to fluctuate quite a bit day to day, usually based on some type of previous load exposure. And then we have profiling metrics that are, Metrics that will maybe track longer term that aren't going to fluctuate as much day to day. I mean, of course, if a, if a player is really dealing with something, it would. But more often than not, this metric is more stable, but you're kind of tracking it over time to, to see some performance changes. So that's kind of how we delineate uh, the certain metrics. Um, so a lot of like eccentric peak force, for example, for us is a monitoring metric. That's a metric that we see fluctuate quite a bit based on the athlete's readiness their you know deceleration capacity how they're feeling um whereas you know on the contrary like we'll look at uh you know something like concentric peak force which doesn't seem to fluctuate as much as eccentric peak force and that's just in our population i haven't worked with other populations but at least with with the vessel players that i'm working with that seemed to be a common thread so so maybe we're tracking concentric peak force longitudinally eccentric peak force we still of course are we want to see that number maybe go up over time but we're kind of monitoring it for like day-to-day changes so does that mean like uh so eccentric peak force is the can i use like most important like data you look into right now it's up it depends on, on the player. Uh, it depends on the time of year. I, I wouldn't say that is like the most important. Like everything's everything's looked at together. Uh, so it's like if we're looking at eccentric peak force, that's like the most a, a player can generate in the eccentric phase. Um, but we also see that number and force at zero velocity are like super tightly coupled. So really, we're just seeing hey, how much force can they produce in sort of this like end range knee flexion position at amortization. And that tells a unique story. However, it doesn't tell the whole story. So maybe we're pairing that metric up with, um, you know, something like jump height, right? It's like, okay, you generate a lot of force, but you didn't jump very high. Like, what's up with that? Uh, or maybe vice versa. It's like your jumps continue to go up, but I'm looking at your trend of eccentric peak force and it's going down. Okay, that's interesting. Where Where is your jump height coming from? Uh, we could also look at, you know, metrics and pair it to any other of our technologies. What is the game data looking like? What's their strength testing looking like? So so it's it's definitely not like the most important thing, um, but it's certainly like high on the hierarchy of things we're looking at. So use, uh, do, you, do you like test their jump like weekly or like yeah every player is different um we try to get maybe two two to two to three uh jumps per week that's what we view as like, okay that's a successful monitoring frequency so as a sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach does that mean you need to test and profile all these data and try to like uh do the programming 
all, all on your own or on the same department? Uh, yeah, I mean, our, our systems are pretty automated, uh, which is something that, that I've, I've been able to do and, and I'm super grateful for because, it, it, you know, it streamlines a lot of the kind of like tedious, you know, copy pasting or anything like that. And really, you just get to spend your time, you know, looking at it, making decisions. That's the fun stuff anyway. So it, it's not too laborious to, you know, kind of go through the data. We just have it automated pretty well where when we see maybe a, a trend line drop and say, okay, that's significant. What does their programming look like? So uh, we work hard, but but definitely don't try to, uh, you know, make it super complicated. So we have all the the kind of force plate stuff automated so that a lot of our time can be spent on the programming side of things. Cool. I want to like go deeper into like uh, eccentric peak eccentric force or eccentric peak force. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So if, if a player have like, Maybe jumps pretty good, but these eccentric key force is like pretty bad. How mm -hmm. to like improve this? Well, you kind of you, you got to ask a couple things, right? You have to ask, okay, what what did they do? Maybe the preceding day or the preceding two days, because tendons get stiff after intense exercise, and since tendons are more durable than muscles, the the body shifts energy production. Um, to the tendon rather than the muscle to complete the task. And so that's how an athlete can jump high with low force outputs because the muscles are contributing less. You're, you're, the athlete's using more springs to do so. Um, and so you have to ask, okay, is, is the athlete maybe producing more force and, and not uh, jumping as high or vice versa because of some previous activity that they had? Maybe they played 35 minutes in the previous two nights, okay, now how am I looking at this data? So there's there's certainly contextual factors, but I would say that's like the biggest one is the athlete maybe changing their strategy to jump hot because you know they they just they see the jump hot, the jump height number and that's what they're going after. Um, we like to just kind of go inside and see okay how, how did they how did they get there? Um, so certainly like you know people can adapt and get around their constraints. Right to jump high. That, that's what you know athletes do. Um, they're amazing compensators, and so I think it's on us to say, okay, well, what is what's maybe eccentric peak force, or what are these other metrics? Uh, what's eccentric deceleration impulse? Um, you know, what are these metrics that we can track that are reliable that can lead us to informed decisions? So that's why you mentioned that uh, because if they want, if they want to jump at the same height with different situation, like different day and different like uh, readiness, they probably mm -hmm. change their jumping strategy. So their knee angle, yeah, they might, yeah. yeah, or their body angle might be different, right? Yeah. But in order to jump at the same height, does they produce the same force to the ground? It, it kind of depends. Uh, we've seen guys jump higher and actually produce less force, um, ironically enough. And so it just, it, you know, they, they change their strategy a lot. And, and some guys, that is the case. And some guys, it's not. Some guys, it's like we see this, you know, drop in uh, or a player will be like, well, oh, my jumps are really good. I'll go look at their data and say, okay, that's really interesting. Like a lot of your like peak forces are down, yet you jumped really high. Okay, what's that about? What other metrics allows you to do that? So um, it, it's certainly complicated um, and, and super complex, but 
we try to just keep it as simple as possible and say, hey, we're, we're tracking these monitoring metrics. And when they deviate from the norms, why is that? You know, communicate with maybe their BT or their strength coach, their player development coach, and kind of figure out why that might be. Cool. So I kind of want to go back to like the, if they can jump higher with less and produce less force, how do they do that? Uh, can you repeat the question? So let's say he jumped with the same height with less force produced to the ground. Oh yeah, so you would so okay. So if you looked at a uh, if you looked at a force time curve and you said okay, well this player just maybe took longer, right? They they spent more time on the ground. They're dissipating that force over a longer duration. Peak force might be lower, but that allows them more time to generate um, generate force maybe through their muscles and jump high, right? So you have an athlete who okay, I'm gonna get a lengthen. Uh, contraction time, but I can still jump high. But since they dissipated force throughout a longer duration, you're gonna have a lower peak. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Just want to clarify that. Yeah. So, uh, next thing I want to ask is about like it's the beginning of the season, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, usually, usually there's gonna be off season and in in season training. So, what? Are the difference between off season and in season, and what are the things you do in in season to like maintain or like make them stronger or faster? Yeah, so it's it's certainly different because we're prioritizing and optimizing for different things. In season, we're optimizing for our players' readiness for games, and so this means we can't push certain volumes and intensities. Uh, that will elicit certain performance adaptations because that could take away from maybe the readiness for a game the next day. So the example would be like, okay, I'm not going to have, let's say we play on, let's say we play Monday and Wednesday. Player has a lift schedule for Tuesday. I can't, you know, I can't be having them doing like heavy barbell squat jumps with max effort sprints, like highly taxing uh, nervous system exercises because that may lead uh, to, to greater fatigue uh, or soreness. And so on Wednesday, when they report for the game, they're not ready to go. Um, I haven't done my job because they're not prepared to play to the best of their ability. So that means that in season, we still touch some of that stuff. We just got to be like very careful when we do it. Um, or maybe we're dropping volume a ton and just hitting certain high intensities with it. Um, so, so that's kind of our thought process behind in-season training. Uh, we're, we, we use a lot of like isolated training. So kind of going after the capacities of the, the quads, the hamstrings, the calves, making sure that those tissues can handle, uh, the loads that they're getting on the court. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, we're super careful about the dosages just because we don't want to elicit, you know, doms and then they're, you know, coming the next day for a game, they're not prepared. So that will switch us then to off season where, Hey, maybe we do have a little bit of wiggle room in regards to their, their training. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we wreck them and they can't walk the next day, but it does mean that we can push a little bit um, into these adaptations that maybe confer more benefits into strength and power. Um, and so that's, you know, classic strength conditioning modalities there. Um, and the fun stuff, if you wanted to word it that way, um, but you know, you got, like I said, you got to be careful with, okay, high, high density of games. We're probably going one route of programming 
low density, maybe just individual workouts in the summertime, that's when maybe the, the performance training takes, uh, takes a front seat. So you mentioned like isolating, isolating muscle during the in season, right? Yeah. How do you, how exactly you do that? Yeah, so really it's just uh, think about like, okay, the quadriceps are an important sport for basketball players. Uh, so we train the quadriceps in isolation. Um, that just means maybe on a leg extension machine um, or we'll go, uh, you know, pretty like a high heels elevated squat um, to kind of lengthen the lever arm of the quad and make it do more work. Those are just two things that would be, hey, this is a little bit more isolated in nature. Uh, just so we're driving the load through that muscle and we're not driving it maybe through um, a different muscle that you're not targeting. But since it's a, it's a like sport with multi-joint movement, why mm -hmm. you need to like isolate certain muscle? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we do uh, integrate it like movements. We'll still squat, trap, or deadlift. Uh, we've just found that you know, for certain players, if they don't have the capacities of a individual muscle, uh, when they're on the court, they can't produce force with that muscle. So if I can't produce force in my quad because I don't have the capacity, which we've identified in their performance training and the performance testing, then some other structure is going to decelerate my body mass. So when I go to make a cut or go for, you know, a layup or a dunk or any type of movement on the court, and I go plant in the ground hard, I need my quadriceps to decelerate me. And if my quadriceps can't decelerate me, then something else will. And so we have the philosophy that, hey, the muscles should be kind of taking the brunt of that uh, that force when it comes to stopping your body mass. Um, and again, like I said, if, if they don't have it, um, then I think we should spend time time getting there. And then the reason we go isolated is because if they don't have it and we do like a squat, they're probably using other structures to get themselves up out of the squat. Right, so they're not maybe not even training the quad then, even though the squat is a quad dominant exercise. Cool. Usually, usually, uh, we do things in Taiwan. I don't know. I don't know about other countries like Japan or anywhere else, mm -hmm. but usually we do things is like uh, kind of like uh, activate. Yeah. Like something like band, something like that to activate okay. then. Yeah then do the main exercise is, is 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 it the same concept uh similar yeah similar because you're uh so like we'll be an example for you guys like for an activation then going in an exercise cool cool we'll, like, we'll be an example for you cool so uh is that kind of like situation you need to like uh target certain muscle is these kind of like simple like get uh more often during the season as the season go on toward the end yeah we're uh you know obviously always always changing things but still keeping it the same because we're we're trying to improve certain biological qualities so we can't just be switching things up every week but but yeah certainly we're just trying to kind of add tonnage over the course of a season, um, improve maybe a, a 10 RM or a 5 RM over the course of the season. Uh, we're just do we're just kind of our, picking our spots to really push those things. Cool. So I know different teams have like different types of like training schedules, different training schedules. And I know like there are certain teams they do like post game lift 
and there's team they do pregame lift. So for your guy, for you guys, uh, you guys, do you guys do like pregame or postgame lift, and why? It's always it's always depends on the player. Some guys are pregame, some guys are postgame, some guys are the next day. So it depends on the player. Mm -hmm. Cool. So, uh, is it is it like is it so? Do you like put the lifting in the in how do I say this in English? I mean, do you put the lifting in the same day as the game day? Uh, kind of like I said before, like it, it depends depends on the guy. For for some guys, we do. Uh, some guys we don't. Some guys are are you know their preference would be to train the next day. Um, but I think we lean towards trying to hit them on a game day lift if it's like a high intensity, uh, high intensity exercise. If we're doing like heavy trap bar deadlifts, I would love to hit that after a game, um, as long as the player has enough left in the tank, so that we're actually getting that adaptation, as opposed to trying to get them the next day when they may be sore, uh, you know, and their nervous system's down regulated, they're not prepared for that, and then we're playing the next day. So, like I said, it just kind of depends on the guy um, and what their program looks like. But I would say our preference would be maybe to to put them on uh, game days. Cool. So I know it's your fourth fourth season in the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, what what's it what's it like to working in like the highest level in the industry? It's it's got its pros and cons. Um, you know, you're you're obviously working with a very special population in terms of their their talent and their abilities on the basketball court. Um, but you're still left with improving, uh, which I mentioned before, you're improving sort of these biological qualities that some of them like, have massive constraints. And when I say constraints, I just mean an, an inability to do something that they probably need to do um, to stay healthy and perform well on the court. So, you know, you still are targeting, even in a super, you know, quote, athletic population, you're still trying to drive these qualities. Whereas maybe, uh, you know, maybe in college or high school strength conditioning, the program's more general because you're kind of improving just a, a, a group of athletic abilities. Whereas the professional level, maybe it's a little bit more targeted. Okay, we need to improve this, this, and this um, because you already have all of this other stuff. So before the pro sport is experience have you worked with like different level before yeah well i worked in college sports so i worked with a, a very wide variety of sports in college um which you know was an unbelievable learning experience um i think it's my belief i think every uh professional strength coach should spend time in college i think you know you're even if you want to be a basketball strength coach, like I, you know, getting to my position now, like I've worked with basketball, but I didn't have, like that wasn't my only experience. So everyone says, oh, I want to want to get into basketball. Um, that's great. But like teams are hiring people with a wide range of experiences who can pull on, you know, a diversity of backgrounds and say, hey, I worked with this sport and solved this problem and this sport with this problem um, because that's going to, make you more successful just because you've worked with the same sport um, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find success at the next level. So, so yeah, my, my college experience was, you know, tremendously impactful and just the sports I got to work with and the different types of programs you had to write 
a creative you to get, or I want to get this adaptation with this athlete and this program. Okay, this person does a completely different sport. This student athlete does a completely different sport. I've got to utilize these, uh, you know, these training methods with them to get that adaptation. So it's an amazing learning experience. Cool. So is the five hundred pound squat in the last year of your college experience, or is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Can you still can you still do that? No, no. It uh it, it gets more difficult uh in the NBA because we travel a lot. You don't really have access to to barbells and, and weights like that on the road. Um, no, that uh, I don't know if that phase will ever come back. Unfortunately. <laughs> so, what type of training you do now? Uh, I try to be as healthy as I can. Uh, definitely more cardio than I used to. Um, you know, I, I'm not like super well versed in that space. Uh, but but I follow some people that are, and I just I think for general health benefits, cardiac benefits, like cardio is probably a little important. So I try to sprinkle that in. Um, I try to you know kind of hit you know, the main muscle groups twice a week. Um, you know, squat, deadlift on occasion. Uh, some martial arts on occasion. I don't really have like a plan right now. I just walk in the gym and kind of be like, oh, I feel like doing this, this, and this today. So that's where I'm at. So uh, I know you're, so you're at NBA right now. There's a lot of like uh, strength coaches or performance coaches want to be at the level and where you are right now. So is there like, certain suggestion for these guys yeah i think I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier i think the the more experience you can get um that is is different is ultimately going to help you i mean at the end of the day like it is a networking thing so you got to know certain people um but you have to be interesting for people to want to talk to you right and so you know the the more people that you can meet the more uh, you know, conversations you can have, the better. And I think that comes through doing different things. Um, you know, someone like yourself, like I was looking at some of the podcast hosts you've had on and say, okay, this, this is an individual who's talked to like a wide range of people. And so if I'm going to hire someone like, okay, if I say, okay, I want to hire Eric, like this is really interesting. He's talked to all these different people. Like he must have a unique perspective on training. He's heard about a lot of things. Um, I just don't think that someone who has spent their whole life learning, you know, the West Side Barbell methods, which are unbelievable, but in isolation, that's not going to allow you to be successful in the NBA. And so I, I this is, you know, my own viewpoint. I'm certainly biased with it, but I think those who those who want to maybe work in the NBA, um, you certainly got to network and connect to people in the NBA. But at the same time, like, I think you got to have a, a ton of ton of different experiences that, that you can pull from, you know, when you ultimately have these conversations, because that's, what's really interesting to people. Cool. Uh, if there's like, if there's like, uh, so I'm going to ask it this way. So uh, how to, from, how do you do from college strength coach to like the pro sports? Uh, you get lucky. <laughs> I got lucky. Um, you know, I, I genuinely was networking. I was trying to learn. I was trying to learn from people that were really bright. Uh, you know, a, a mentor of mine, Daniel Bowe, he's with the Pelicans. 
he uh you know we we had a conversation you know kind of fall one year and we just stayed in touch and you know the questions that were asking i was like legit curious about and you know force him to kind of be okay this is how i solve problems and make decisions and and we had a really good healthy dialogue going even though it was in my opinion like a one-way street um it was still something where like the questions i was asking were actual problems i was trying to solve it's like hey i might be asking a question on um you know athlete management systems because like i was trying to design one and create one from scratch and and i knew he had used one so it's um it, it's stuff like that that I think you know kind of opens the door because he then ultimately helped get me this job and so um I think networking not just for the sake of networking but networking because you're trying to learn and improve whatever system it is you're trying to implement um, I think that's the path forward for a lot of people cool and that and that's what worked for me like that's how I got from college to MBA I was just like hey this is what I'm trying to do can you help me not with the intention of like trying to go to the NBA. I was just like, Hey, all this stuff's really interesting. And then him being like, Hey, there's this job that just opened. So is there like certain like, uh, things you got, you, you're like interested in right now, let's say like, probably like speed training or like, uh, like, I don't know, like the book, the book, Daniel, both right or a certain mm -hmm. is there a certain thing you you're learning right now or you're interested in right now yeah um kind of a, a wide variety of stuff uh i i would say maybe non-specific to strength conditioning um uh learned a little bit about and i've, I've started to, to kind of dabble in some jiu-jitsu and learning kind of skill development from that lens has been has been really eye-opening uh just learning how like obviously i'm doing it myself um, and learning how kind of like someone at the very beginning learns movement and, you know, motor control and skill acquisition, like this stuff is really fascinating to me that, that I've never really read into. Um, I think it's important. I just, I think as a strength conditioning coach, you like pick your areas that you're going to maybe know more than others. And that's an area that I just, I just don't know that well. Um, so, so that's been kind of cool to, to take it from like a non-specific S and C lens of like you know learning a new sport and learning new movements in like kind of a chaotic environment and maybe thinking about how that applies um applies like in our field if i'm trying to teach an athlete something um so so that's kind of been interesting on that and then in terms of maybe more specific to strength conditioning stuff that that i'm looking into um is kind of managing systems better uh so designing better feedback loops and, you know, trying to, to better improve our processes for data collection, data decision making, um, because I think our, our field's getting so involved in, you know, we collect all this data, force plates, court data, um, isokinetic data, sprint data, you know, all this stuff. I keep saying data, data, data. And I think the systems that sport has in place to make sense of all of it is not great right now. And so I'm, I'm trying to dive into that space and figure out, okay, how can we maybe be pioneers of like this next stage? Um, because, you know, 10 years ago, no one had force bites, really. I mean, they, they ha it was a thing. It was like a technology, um, but pro teams, college teams, like it wasn't mainstream. A uh, few had them, they were getting into it. So I'm just trying to think, about, okay, what does 2032 look like? And I think we're in a completely different world. I think we're looking at things a, a little bit different when it comes to some of the technologies we have. I just want to make sure like I'm in the forefront of that. Um, I'm, I'm part of the group that are trailblazing that space. Um, and so for me, like that's a critical area 
Um, and then of course, like I'm a strength conditioning coach as well. So for me, it's like, um, you know, kind of diving into, um, just some of the components of like individual, like the physiology, basically, uh, you know, less, uh, you know, programming of course is taking like a front seat, but like, okay, how am I programming with a greater understanding of physiology? Uh, that's something that, that is, that is kind of been maybe like less prioritized by me that maybe should have been, um, at the very beginning. Um, but I just finished up just level one of the Poliquin, uh, certification and that kind of got me back thinking about, okay, dosing and volume and intensity. And what does that mean for certain like biological qualities and then how can I better understand that stuff? So that's, that's kind of the three things that, that I'm like going in between right now. So, uh, because you work at a pro, pro sport, sorry, you need to travel a lot. So mm -hmm. how does that, like, how do you, like, uh, manage to, like, uh, travel a lot and at the same time have a quality life with your family? It's really hard. Uh, it is. Um, definitely not easy. And I'm, I'm trying to pick up things every day from people who've done it a long time. There's coaches in the NBA that have been here for 20 years, right? And so I might ask them, like, hey, how do you do this? And all tips or, or strength coaches that have been in the NBA for 10 years, maybe. They've been in a decade. It's like, hey, how have you been able to handle this or manage this better? Um, you know, it, it's I definitely don't have any solutions right now. Um, but I am doing, a, you know, hopefully a better job every day of just like making sure that all my obligations are fulfilled in all the different areas and, you know, having better, you know, productivity stuff on my computer so that I can, you know, silo, hey, this is work, this is home, um, that stuff, that stuff continues to be, continues to be important. Um, but I definitely don't have a hack at this point. Uh, I just know it's like, hey, I got to be really intentional uh, so that I can, you know, make sure I'm my best at work and also make sure I'm best at home. So I know, I know is that it's your anniversary. Is it today or is it? Yeah. 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 It's today. Yeah. So, so sorry. Sorry for, sorry for like asking you to do this on your anniversary, man. No, we're on the road. Uh, we're on the road. So, we're, and that's why I really, I know I like didn't give you a ton of dates. Um, you know, this type of stuff is great to do on the road just because, you know, we're in a hotel room and, you know, it's, you know, we're in Utah right now. So I knew like, okay, Sunday, I got nothing going on. So uh, that's why I, I know I pushed it a little bit and I apologize for that. But, uh, but yeah, I tried to like get the stuff done on the road so that when we go home, you know, I'm, I, you know, hit practice, hit workouts, stuff like that. Then you go home and, you know, I, you know, I got my homework. So, so yeah, that de definitely not a, an issue on your end for sure. I, I, I picked this day. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. So if there's like coaches or like therapists are interested in what we are talking about today, where can they reach out to you? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's just my name, Joey Davey with an underscore in between. Admittedly, I don't, on Instagram, I don't post a lot of strength conditioning stuff. Um, I it's more you know maybe family or friends oriented, and then Twitter I'm I'm not very exciting either. I maybe you know a couple tweets a year. Um, I, I I use it for just kind of content and getting ideas and and honestly just like non strength conditioning related stuff. Um, so but but I I love to to connect with people. 
Um, so, you know, my email, so if you want to email me, it's joseph.c.davy at gmail.com. Um, that's probably the best way to, to reach me. Um, and, you know, I, I try to just keep, I try to keep like Instagram and Twitter, like I don't want to be on it too much. So therefore I just don't put out a lot of content. Cause I think once you put out content, you're, you know, following it and then you're responding to people and, um, it kind of kills my productivity. So if you want to reach out, um, hop on a call, I think email is probably the best bet. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it.